Turn with me again to the book of Joshua. This morning we are um, we're coming to Joshua 20, and again we'll read through the chapter uh, together. So let's turn to God's word. Joshua 20, uh, reading from verse 1. This is God's word. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hands because he struck his neighbour unknowingly and did not hate him in the past and he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment until the death of him who is the high priest at that time then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home to the town from which he fled so they set apart Kedesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. And beyond the Jordan east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland from the tribe of Reuben and Ramoth and Gilead from the tribe of Gad and Golan and Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the strangers sojourning among them, that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. Let's just pause for a moment uh, to pray and ask for God's help. Our Father and God, as we come to your word again, um, we, we, we thank you for this privilege of meeting together and meeting around your word. And God, we come to you, we recognize that we need your help to understand, we need your spirit to lead us into truth, to point us to Christ and to transform us um, from within. So Father, may you be pleased to do that work um, within us this morning. Will you show us Christ, show us the glory and worth of knowing him again. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Justice. Justice is something that is um, within each person. Each person has some sense of justice or rightness or fairness. 
From the one-year-old grunting and shouting, holding out his hand as older siblings receive sweets and he doesn't, he wants justice to be done. He wants sweets the same as his siblings. Or to the teenager fighting to be allowed to go a certain place, they may proclaim the unfairness or the injustice of the restriction put on them. Justice is a powerful drive within us. Just this week in Northern Ireland, we have had the introduction of a new law protecting victims of coercive control. This is a positive step towards justice, particularly for those suffering domestic abuse. And with the events in our world, which we've already alluded to in Russia and Ukraine, many around our world are are crying out inwardly for justice, as many of our fellow humans are literally fighting for justice. We all have this desire and drive for justice, from the more mundane matters to the much more serious matters of life. Well, in Joshua 20, we we see that God loves justice. God puts things in place to ensure that justice is done, to to ensure that, that his desire for justice is satisfied. Chapters 20 and 21, they they bring an end to this land distribution section that began back in chapter 13. And chapter 20 here deals with these cities of refuge, and then chapter 21 deals with cities given to the Levites. But from chapter 20 this morning, I want to think um, about this passage under three headings and then we'll make some closing applications. Firstly, we will think about God's justice in verses 1 to 6. Then we'll look at how God's justice is accessible in verses 7 to 9. And then thirdly, we see that God's justice is satisfied in verse 6. So firstly, let's think about God's justice in verses 1 to 6. These verses show us really God's practical means for his people to ensure that justice is done. Look at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. So we see here that, that, that God had plans in place for when his people would enter the promised land. And one such plan was to protect someone who may accidentally or, or without knowing kill another person. We can read about this in in Deuteronomy 19. And there God says that that, that when his people enter the promised land, they are to set apart three cities that are to be used for refuge. And God says, verse 4, This is provision for the manslayer who by fleeing there may save his life. 
And then an example of this situation is given in Deuteronomy 19. So the example is, is if someone kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the past. And so the example is given that, that a man goes out to work in the forest and his neighbor is also there to cut wood. But when the man's hand swings the axe to cut down a tree, the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so he dies. And it's said here that if this happened, that, that this man is able to flee to one of these cities and live, lest the avenger of his blood in hot anger pursue the manslayer and overtake him and strike him fatally. Because the man did not deserve to die, since he had not hated his neighbor in the past. So it's describing a, a, a scenario where a man, he has simply went about his day's work. He really seems he has no other motive but to do his work. And, and tragically, we, we might say a freak accident happens and, and he ends up killing someone through a work accident. And God is saying this, this man does not deserve to die. He, he does not deserve the punishment for the taking um, of another's life because he genuinely did not mean to kill that person. But that person, of course, has died and a friend or family member of, of the deceased, they may be angry about what has happened. They may be desperately wanting revenge for this fatal accident. And so perhaps they will take it upon themselves to seek out the man who accidentally killed the, the other person, and, and they're wanting to get revenge by killing him. When we come back to Joshua 20, these cities of refuge shall, shall be um, for the avenger of, of blood. In other words, the one who accidentally kills, they will be able to go to these cities for protection. If you look at verse 4, he shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the city gate and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place, and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly. He did not hear him in the past. And then verse 6, he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment. So the one that is taking refuge in this city, he has to stand before the, the congregation. He has to go through a process of judgment to ensure that the death was indeed accidental. Okay, this, this city of refuge, it's, it's not a ticket to get off scot-free with murder. God had already also made that perfectly plain in Deuteronomy. He says there that if anyone kills his neighbor intentionally, well then the elders of the city should hand him over to the avenger of blood. These cities of refuge, they are God's means of ensuring justice is done in the land that God has given his people. God's justice 
Now, God's justice is accessible. We see that in verses 7 to 9. Verse 7 and 8 tells us where these cities of refuge would be. Um, West of the Jordan, the promised land. Verse 7, and then east of the Jordan for the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Verse 8. These cities on both sides were were situated in the north, middle, and south. Again, God had provision in place um, for this before his people had entered the land. And again, we return to Deuteronomy and we see this. In, In Deuteronomy 4, we read that Moses set apart three cities in the east beyond the Jordan, that the manslayer might flee there. That's then again, anyone who kills his neighbor unintentionally, without being at enmity with him in the past, he may flee to one of these cities and save his life. And then Moses names the three cities that we have here in Joshua 20. The three cities in the east, we move to Deuteronomy 19, we see the provision of cities west of the Jordan, And that's where God gives the example of the woodcutter. And in verse 7, he says, Therefore I command you, you shall set apart three cities. It goes on, And if the Lord gives you the land he has promised, and if you obey his commandments by loving the Lord and walking in his ways, then you shall add three other cities to these three, so that the guilt of bloodshed will not be upon you. So there we see the Lord set aside these cities for the protection of innocent people and so Israel will not have guilt on their hands. But it's interesting here that God says, if you obey my commands, then you shall add three other cities of refuge, which would be six cities in total west of the Jordan. Now there are only three cities mentioned in Joshua, which would suggest to us again the disobedience of God's people that they never actually added the other three cities but regardless there were three cities of refuge on the west side and there were three cities of refuge on the east side to the north to the middle and the south very accessible to all of God's people living there but not just accessible to Israel Look at the summary statement in verse 9. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the strangers sojourning among them that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. And it's one of those lines that that we read in the Old Testament and it it wakes us up to realise that that God's salvation is not exclusive to those who were born into the nation of Israel. The the strangers sojourning among them um, being protected by God suggests to us that they were every bit a part of God's people as anyone born into the nation of Israel. 
I love these statements because we, we, don't really, we don't know who these people are exactly. We don't know how exactly they came to be part of Israel. But by some means, God in his grace has embraced them and welcomed them into the family and is protecting them under God's law. God's justice is accessible. Then in verse 6, we see that God's justice is satisfied. We read there, He shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home to the town from which he fled. Dale Ralph Davis says that the city is at the same time refuge and prison. Yes, the manslayer is being protected, but he can't leave there. He, he can't resume normal life until the death of the high priest. Only then will he be able to return to his own town and own home. Again, this was explained to God's people earlier. And we read in, in Numbers 35, 32. You shall accept no ransom, um, no payment for him who has fled to the city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the high priest. Numbers links the death of the high priest with clearing or purifying the land from guilt. And these passages show us that the, the only way for justice to be done, the only ransom that can be paid to release the manslayer is the death of the high priest. Now, now hopefully this is ringing bells to us. Hopefully this is familiar language to us. We, we read in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus Christ is a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, propitiation is, is simply a sacrifice that removes wrath or condemnation. Paul explains this further to us in Romans 3. We see here that, that Jesus, the, the merciful and faithful high priest, he served God by showing or, or demonstrating God's justice or righteousness. Romans is, is very clear to us that every human has sinned against God. So no one is, is right in God's eyes. And because God is just, because God is passionate about ensuring justice is done, well, he must punish sin in order to remain just and right. Think about it. If, if there was, let's say, a judge in a court 
And, and an awful case comes in, say, of, of murder or even rape. And, and, and this case is brought before the judge. And all the evidence very clearly condemned the person. The judge says, you are free to go. Do you know, actually, don't worry about it. Just, just go. You're fine. You're free to go. Well, he'd be a hopeless judge. He wouldn't be a right or a just judge. For God to, to uphold his, his character and his glory, he must punish sin. Jesus Christ came to serve God by showing, proving his justice. How did he do this? Well, we read in Romans 3 that God put Christ forward as a propitiation, a sacrifice, as we've said, by his blood. And Paul says in Romans, this, that is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, this was to show God's righteousness or justice. Now let's think about this. Whose sin was God punishing? It was ours. But who took the punishment? Jesus Christ. The death of Jesus Christ proved both the just character of God and made it possible for sinners to be released from God's condemnation and free from guilt. Now, how does the sinner access this? Romans tells us, by faith in Jesus Christ. We believe. We accept God's provision for us in Jesus Christ. This gift, that this provision that God gives to us is accessible to all who know they are sinners and believe in Jesus Christ, the high priest, as the only payment for sin. I want to take a few moments and, and make three application points for us from what we thought about in Joshua 20. And the first is to follow on from what I've just been saying. First is this. There is freedom from God's condemnation of your sin. If you have never put faith in Jesus Christ, may you do that today. Because that is all you need to do. There is nothing more you need to do or in fact can do. There's no ransom. There is no price you can pay for your sin before God. You cannot make amends for your wrongdoing, whether that has been intentional or unintentional. There is no ransom that will bring justice before God but the death of the great high priest, Jesus Christ. And once your faith has turned away from yourself and on to Christ, then you can know that justice is done. The penalty for sin has been paid. The court is adjourned, so to speak. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There, there's no condemnation for those whose faith is in Christ Jesus. You are free to go. 
to return home to God. Once you have put faith in Jesus Christ, you can know the rest and the the joy of being free from condemnation. You can know freedom of guilt from past, present and future sins. You know, for those of us who have faith in in Jesus Christ, sometimes we're very good at heaping condemnation on ourselves for past and present sins. We feel guilty. We get down about it. We, We feel the need to make amends again. And the truth of that is, when we condemn ourselves, we're putting ourselves in the very place of God. Who are we? Who are we to judge ourselves guilty when God has already freed us from guilt through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ? Christ is enough. Look to him and keep looking to him. The second point is this. Um, do not seek revenge for wrongs done to you. I said at the beginning, we, we, we all have this desire for justice within us and for justice to be done. And, and when we feel that justice has not been done, we, we can become very frustrated, even tortured in our mind and heart. Perhaps you have long held frustrations. Perhaps wrongs done to you by a family member. Perhaps it's been in a work context. Perhaps a wrong done to you even among the family of God. And and that has never been recognized. And and you badly want that to be recognized. You, You want that person to know their wrongdoing. You want them to acknowledge their sin and and to be punished in some way for that. And a lot of your drive then really becomes about revenge. And I don't believe we need to seek revenge. Why is that? Because we have wronged we have, we have sinned against God more than we could ever know. And yet he punished Jesus instead of us. We, we don't need to seek revenge because we know how we have been treated by God. We've been loved, we've been forgiven, we've been accepted. We've been blessed beyond measure even when we were his enemies. If we have been wronged in significant ways, yes, of course, it's appropriate for at times for those who have wronged us to experience consequences of that. But remembering how God has treated us can free us from bitterness, from revengeful, revengeful frustration, and even enable us to show love and forgiveness and even blessings 
to those who have wronged us. So we don't need to seek revenge because of how God has treated us. And we don't need to seek revenge because God himself will bring justice. For those who are trusting in Christ, the price for all their wrongdoing has been paid at the cross. Okay, So it's not up to us to bring further punishment. And for those who are not trusting in Christ, they will in time suffer God's full condemnation and punishment. And that should not leave us feeling satisfied, but rather to drive us to our knees to pray that they would look to Christ and they too would know God's forgiveness and acceptance. Third and final point of application. We see from Joshua 20 that human life is precious. Human life is precious. One writer says that that this chapter, Joshua 20, just breathes the sanctity of human life. Both the manslayer and the dead man. We we can see the the preciousness of the man who unintentionally killed as, as God has put and placed the city of refuge to protect his life. But we can also see the preciousness of, of the man who was killed. As the man who unintentionally killed him was in some way imprisoned in this city of refuge. Although it was an accident, he still suffered consequences of accidentally taking another's life. If you think of a, of a genuine accident, perhaps a car accident where, where one is killed and another survives. And the one who survives is in a sense imprisoned, haunted by this accidental death. Like, why is this? Why can they not just move on? Because human life is so precious. As Christian people, we believe that every life is equally Precious from the unborn to the final moments of life. From the greatest achiever in this life to the greatest underachiever. From the most secure and stable to the most insecure and unstable. From those we love the most to those we hate the most. From the healthiest physically and mentally to the sickest physically and mentally. From the most moral to the most immoral. We do not write any life off, whether that be the unborn, the dying, the most insecure, the most immoral. Every life is precious as made and created by God for relationship with himself. We define the preciousness of life not by popular opinion, not even by what the law says. We define the preciousness of life by what God, our Creator, says. Without distinction, we long for each life we know. We pray for each life that we know 
that they would find their full worth, their full dignity in knowing God through Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. Our Father and our God, we we thank you that you are indeed a just God. And so we thank you for your concern and your passion for justice. We thank you for um, freedom from condemnation and guilt that you have provided for us in Jesus Christ. And Father, we do long to be changed by this in our lives. We long to have a better grasp and realization of all that you've done for us in Christ. Father, where we know there is revenge in our hearts from past hurts and past wrongs done to us, we ask that your spirit may work within us. Change us. That our hearts might turn from bitterness and revenge to even love and acceptance and welcome and even blessing. Father, we, we, we thank you even in, in our own country for the law that was passed this week. We thank you that you care for justice. And Lord, we, we would take even this moment just now to, to pray for those suffering domestic abuse that ultimately they would come to know your justice at the cross, that they would be able to take refuge in you and that they would know your protection. Father, we thank you that every human life is precious because it has been made by you and been made for relationship with you. And so, Lord, may we value each human life without exception, without distinction. May we long that each life would know their full value and worth in knowing you. Father, continue your work within us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.